0: Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. That's on page 43 if you're using the Pew Bible. And those verses will also be projected on the wall behind me. Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob Each with his household, Reuben's fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The book of Exodus is picking up where the book of Genesis left off. You might remember the story of Joseph at the end of Genesis. Joseph was one of 12 sons of Jacob, who God renamed Israel. Joseph did not get along well With his brothers. This probably had something to do with him telling his parents and older brothers about dreams he had in which they bowed down to him. His brothers decided instead of bowing down to him, they would pretend he had been killed by a wild animal to their father and sell Joseph into slavery. Joseph ends up in Egypt where he eventually becomes second in command to Pharaoh. The timing of all of this is providential. There is a food shortage back where Joseph's family still resides. They show up in Egypt bowing down to a powerful Egyptian who happens to be their long-lost brother thus fulfilling the dream Joseph had so many years before. The take-home point of this story in Genesis is summed up by Joseph. He says to his brothers in Genesis 45:7: God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Joseph's family, the family of Israel, was saved by God's sovereign provision. God's motivation for providing a means of salvation was not a secret. The Lord was willing, the Lord was fulfilling a promise that he had made to Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham. There was actually not just one promise that was made. God made multiple promises in a covenant that was based on God's own character. The Bible makes clear there is no greater certainty in life than a promise from God. If he says he will do something, he most certainly will will. It is not a matter of if, it is a matter of when. God's promises are contingent not on who his people are or the circumstances those people find themselves in. God's promises are contingent on himself alone, and God doesn't waver. God doesn't change. A consistent theme of the whole Bible, but especially the Old Testament, is that God fulfills promises to people that are not very likable. Let's rewind a second to talk about the people today's verses tell us were saved by God because of promises that God had previously made. Jacob, the patriarch, Joseph's father was a dirtbag. He lied to his blind father to steal his brother's birthright. We've already said Jacob's sons sold their brother into slavery. These same sons of Jacob slaughtered the male inhabitants of a city, after tricking them into circumcising themselves to defend their sister's honor. Later, one of the sons, Judah, has a child with the widow of one of his sons when he is fooled into thinking she is a woman of the night. You cannot make this stuff up. These are not likable people. One of the things that is unique about the Bible as a religious text is that the people it tells us about are often so flawed, it doesn't paint an idealized version of humanity. People don't determine if God fulfills his promises. Neither do circumstances. God can work through Whatever circumstances exist, Joseph's brothers made the decision to sell him to slave traders. God did not plant that idea in their mind, but he used the consequences of it in a way they could never have predicted. If need be, God can manufacture the circumstances that allow his promises to be fulfilled. About a decade ago, Anne and I had the opportunity to go visit parts of Greece and Turkey. It was was an awesome trip. And while we were there, we visited an island that's part of Greece called Santorini. You've probably seen pictures of Santorini. It's super beautiful. It's this extinct volcano. So there's this rim of the island that kind of looks down to the cauldron of the volcano that's now been filled up by the Mediterranean Sea. And it's this beautiful blue water with all these amazing little Greek houses and everything. That volcano last exploded about 3,500 years ago. Some scholars argue that the 10 plagues reported later in the book of Exodus were the result of that volcano exploding. Microbiologist Ciro Trevesianto, probably didn't say that correctly, author of The Plagues of Egypt, Archaeology, History, and Science, look at the Bible, argues winds would have carried the volcanic ash to Egypt at some point over the summer, and the toxic acids in the volcanic ash would have included the mineral cinnabar, which could have been capable of turning a river a blood-like red color. The accumulated acidity of the water would have caused frogs to leap out and search for clean water. Insects would have burrowed eggs in the bodies of dead animals and human survivors, which generated larvae and then adult insects. Then the volcanic ash in the atmosphere would have affected the weather with acid rain landing on people's skin, which in turn caused boils. The grass would have been contaminated, poisoning the animals that ate it. The humidity from the rain and the subsequent hail would have created optimal conditions for locusts to thrive. Volcanic eruptions could also explain the several days of darkness, which means nine plagues are accounted for. Maybe that is exactly how it happened. But if it came out that were the case, I would not have a crisis of faith. I would believe that God was behind the eruption and that he used it To free his people. In Exodus, the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham back in Genesis takes center stage. God had promised Abraham that he would have descendants like the stars in the sky. Today's verses are pointing out the progress that has been made towards the fulfillment of that promise. The people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. What was once a large extended family barely hanging on is now an ethnic group. They are a nation. There are thousands of them. Behind this multiplication, God is at work. All this growth has played out in Egypt, the most powerful kingdom in the world is utilized by God for his purposes. The fact this is happening in Egypt is amazing. It also highlights that there is another promise of God that is yet to be fulfilled. In addition to an innumerable number of descendants, God had promised Abraham a promised land. Half a millennia later, his descendants are still foreigners in a foreign land. They have no place to call their own. It will soon become apparent in Exodus why this lack of a home is a problem. The growth of Israel within Egypt leads to a fair amount of animosity from the Egyptians. The world has an adversarial relationship with God's promises. We will see throughout the book of Exodus how God continues to fulfill his promises to Abraham. He does so in spite of the circumstances. A homicidal government intent on the continued destruction and enslavement of Israel does everything it can to impede God's purposes. Egypt appears to have all the power. They have the whips, the chariots, and magic. God brings the Egyptians to their knees. The gap in power between God and Pharaoh is highlighted repeatedly. Pharaoh operates as if he is an immovable object. He's not. God is an unstoppable force. God follows through on his promises in spite of the people those promises are being fulfilled to. Let me reiterate, throughout Exodus, the people of Israel are not likable. There are few things in life that I find more annoying than a whiner. I have no patience with it, with my kids or anybody else's kids for that matter. I don't think... Tolerating, whining, or rewarding it is helpful. It just confirms the idea that, making, that by making others feel sorry for you, you can get what you want. It is emotionally manipulative, and it makes the people who do it think of themselves as victims. All the Israelites seem to do is whine. One of the biggest challenges in going through Exodus for me is wanting the people of Israel to make it to the promised land. It is hard to cheer for them. It's like reading a book where you don't even like the main character. For us, the story told in Exodus resonates because past performance is the best indicator of future behavior. The promises made to Abraham are still being fulfilled today. The church has been grafted in to the promises of Israel through Jesus Christ. Abraham was promised a great number of descendants that would dwell at peace in a land that God would give them. Every Christian is a child of Abraham. You remember the song from when you grew up? You are the realization of one of the innumerable stars in the sky that God showed Abraham to indicate what God would do. While God's promises have been partially fulfilled We are still waiting. Similar to these opening verses of Exodus, we see that there are a great number of Christians in the world. We also see that the land we live in, our daily experience, is not the fulfillment of what God has promised. Like the Israelites in Egypt, we are not where we should be. This leads some people to think that maybe God will not do what he has promised. It is easy to despair in an adversarial world. It's easy to forget when we have not seen God move in a big way lately. Perhaps he lacks the power or the inclination The truth is, God is taking Christians on a journey to where we need to be. He can overcome people and circumstances as he did in the book of Exodus. He will do what he did in the book of Exodus. The story of Christ's church is a continuation of the Exodus story. God is drawing his people into his promised land. There will be conflict associated with this movement. The powers of this world don't like true Christians. They do want to control them. They need the labor, the attention, the money, and the votes. God's plan will be resisted. Separation isn't easy. It's not just that the world we live in wants to keep its claws in Christians. Christians, we have developed a taste for the world. The Israelites didn't like Egypt. But they were comfortable there in some ways. It was the only thing they really knew. It pulled at them like a black hole. To experience God's promises, we have to faithfully follow God into the wilderness as the people of Israel did. The wilderness is intimidating. It is scary. It is a land of wants. The comfort of this world is absent there. Nobody knows the way through it. To follow God into the wilderness, we must trust that he is the same God described in the Exodus. He is just as capable of protecting and providing. He will take us where we need to go. Every Christian can look back in history and see the miraculous ways God moved that played a significant role in creating the situation we now live in. We can also see that the current situation is not what we want it to be. Our world is oppressive. That does not mean that God's providence has failed. The future is unclear from our vantage point. It is often not possible to tell what God is doing in the present. Will the future be like the past or a continuation of the present? God's future will be neither. Yes, God will act in ways in the future that are similar to the ways he acted in the past. But God isn't interested in going back. He wants to take us forward into a fuller realization of his promises. By learning about the exodus of Israel from Egypt, we can learn about the church's exodus from the world. What God is doing now will be difficult. It will involve trials and tribulations. Faith will be required of you and I. The end result is assured. God will fulfill his promises. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are a God who makes promises and keeps them that the fulfillment of those promises isn't dependent on who we are. It's not dependent on us being likable or, or good enough or anything else, Lord. It's dependent on you alone. And nothing in this world can prevail over you, that you are at work. Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith and the desire and the understanding to follow you, both as individuals and as your church, as you fulfill your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.